The Trouble with Transformation, a serialised podcast by Alison Wick. Chapter 29, A Matter of Trust. Everybody knows a villain on their own is less commanding than a villain with two cronies. Stop. Think on your favourite tales, ancient or modern, it matters not. You needn't look far to unearth that colluding twosome. Hold up, I hear you say. What about when there's just one? True. Some scoundrels limit themselves to a single sidekick. But tell me this, which is more impactful? Which allyships spring to mind? Whether it's all hocus-pocus or cat's play, you can't deny. The power of three can attack from all sides. The weapon-making boy knew if he were to take down the golden girl, he would need to turn her allies. He played cards with his older brothers and had learned the hard way. It's easy to overlook the minor court cards in a pack, to underestimate their value. But you can't win a royal flush on kings and queens alone. So he did his research, found out what made each of the terrible twins tick. One had an insatiable hunger for mayhem. She was forever in search of that flashpoint, the catalyst to make the most epic boom. Given the fate the weapon-making boy had in mind for the golden girl, gaining the first twin's allegiance was a given. The second twin was trickier. She simply wanted one thing. Him. But his affection lay with the Spice Girl. Somehow he would have to dance that line between showing interest but never making good on the promise. When the weapon-making boy revealed his plan to the Spice Girl, one of fizz, colour, explosion and froth, she loved it. Just a simple, harmless experiment, but one that would show the Golden Girl how it felt to be a spectacle, to be laughed at. There was only one point in his plan that gave her pause. To achieve their goal, they must form a league with the terrible twins. She asked herself, was she insane? What if Cinderella had made friends with her ugly sisters? Who might she have become? One thing was certain, she wouldn't have earned herself a prince. But who wanted that anyway? The Spice Girl was no princess, and happy ever afters were overrated. Her mother had married her prince, and look how that turned out. An untimely death, fair-weather friends and media savagery, a lifetime of never knowing why. In the story of her life, the Spice Girl chose agency. She couldn't predict how the cards would fall, but she could play her own game. Sean O'Grady walked by, trying to look casual and failing miserably. He glanced in our direction, turning his head this way and that, as though his gaze simply happened to be drifting to the spot where Danny, the Fisher Twins and I were seated. I examined his trajectory through narrowed eyes. It was the third pass he'd made since we'd sat down for lunch. Who did he think he was fooling? More importantly, what did he want? Was he building up the courage to join us? Shameful as it is to admit, Dad, I secretly hoped not. Don't get me wrong, I liked Sean, but the last thing I needed at that moment was instability. Erica and Etta Fisher were still on side, but as you've probably worked out by now, Fisher loyalty on one day doesn't necessarily guarantee the next. All it took was a slight shift in the balance of power, and then it was anyone's game. 
Luckily, things were holding steady on that front. It had been just over two months since I'd broken up with Brian, and the Fishers had settled into the new group dynamic with remarkable agility. In fact, it was oddly surreal how quickly we'd all settled into our new normal. Brian had barely made a peep since I'd dumped him. It just went to show. A heavy without a gang to do his bidding? Wasn't heavy at all. But that didn't mean we could afford to relax. Danny and I had to keep our wits about us if we had any hope of pulling off our whacked out scheme of building your machine. We'd agreed with the Jansons. No unnecessary school politics. No changes that might draw attention to ourselves. We didn't know who might be watching. Consequently, Betty never hung out with us. We only ever spoke during school time if it was about school stuff. Otherwise, I might have had to contend with the fishes on that point as well. I scanned the playground. There he was. Sean, not Brian. Sitting diagonally across from us, half hidden behind a tree and not so easy to spot. I see you, my eyes said to his. Sean's gaze instantly plunged into the depths of his lunchbox. He made a show of nibbling at what appeared to be a Vegemite and cheese sandwich. What was he up to? Could Sean be spying on us? I laughed at my own paranoia. Don't be ridiculous. But as the ill-fated Dr. Wilson said, we had to be careful. His advice was to trust no one, which was easier said than done. Unless we did everything ourselves, and that was proving impossible, we had to make some concessions. We'd already taken a risk by confiding in the Jansons, but that didn't mean we had to get careless. Take Mr. Bell, for instance. His behaviour was increasingly random. Lurking around at the glitz, rolling up to the surf club, offering me lifts to places that were only a ten-minute bike ride away. There may have been a perfectly good reason behind Mr. Bell's sudden omnipresence. Cap could have been putting him up to it, for one. But that was about just as likely as Mr. Bell following me out of fatherly concern. I didn't know Mr. Bell's game. He could be a spy, or even working for Mr. Makepeace, but I wasn't about to take my chances. Speaking of lurkers, I was just trying to figure out a way to get Danny away from the fishes so we could discuss your machine, when Sean walked by, for a fourth time. He didn't look in my direction, but there was definitely something dodgy going on. The fishers noticed as well. They'd been snickering over Mrs. Bumble's side buns when they stopped mid-giggle and were now wearing mix-and-match glares. Erica stood abruptly. Smoothing the skirt of her uniform, she announced, I'm going to buy a paddle pot before the canteen closes. Do you want something? Danny and I shook our heads. I'll come, Etta said hopping up to join her twin. I watched them walk away, grateful for some time alone with Danny. I'd been trying to get a moment to speak with him all day, but the twins hadn't given us a chance. I licked the greasy remnants of a calamari ring from my fingers and pushed the remainder of my salad aside. They're acting a bit funny today, Danny said, jerking his head toward the fishes. I threw a disinterested glance in their direction. They were in the canteen line, heads bent in conversation, nothing unusual. Never mind them, I swiveled back to Danny. I'm dying to hear how you guys went with the machine last night. I leaned forward. Did you crack it? Danny's downturned mouth said it all. Sorry, G. We've assembled the thing piece by piece. We've double-checked everything, twice over. 
but we're missing something. Like what? Like this machine. It's supposed to do things that are straight out of a comic book. It looks the part, so lit you could power your house off it. But it has... Danny snapped his fingers. No magic. Nothing that takes it to the next level. I studied him closely, noticing for the first time the blue shadows beneath his olive skin, the bleary eyes. His features screamed of too many late nights, of self-neglect. Guilt stirred in the pit of my belly. He was doing this all for me. Do you or Mr. J have any ideas? Yeah, but I don't know if you'll go for it, Danny said, poking at the remains of his fish and chips lunch, avoiding my gaze. I folded my legs up and leaned closer, elbows on knees. You can just try me. Yeah, lay it out. He assessed me through squinted eyes, as though bracing for my response. We were wondering if it might be a good idea to call Jim, Dr. Wilson's contact, and tell him what we're planning. My heart rocketed up to my throat, then stone dropped like a roller coaster. I stared at him, open-mouthed. Why? Well, he said, taking a deep breath before continuing, I was just thinking maybe he could put us in touch with your dad. If anyone knows how to fire up the machine, it should be him. A burning sensation swept over my neck, my cheeks. Do you really think he could help? I said, unable to keep the defensive tone from my voice. I mean, you heard Dr. Wilson. Terry, Dad, hasn't been able to recreate the machine on his own. And we're the ones with the book. It should tell us everything we need. What if the notebook we have isn't the only one? My pulse started to race. What makes you say that? Have you guys found something else? Is there something you're not telling me? Of course not. What's got into you, G? I shook my head. Being kept from the front line was making me doubt everything. Deep down, I knew Danny wasn't one to keep secrets, but I couldn't stop myself. This had been my plan, my brilliant attempt at bringing you back to me and Kat, and now it felt as though all the adults were taking over. We were getting swept into the corner all over again. Plus, there was one more thing. Ridiculous as it sounds, given the goal was to set you free one way or another, I'd wanted to surprise you. I wanted you to be proud that I'd cooked up this little scheme all on my own. If we brought you in at this point, you'd be the one who got yourself across the line, not me. Danny seemed to get it, because he added, It just seems like we're missing something critical, that's all. It's a better option than failure, hey? His purple smudged eyes pleaded with me. The butterflies of guilt fluttered again. He really did look exhausted. I heaved a sigh. Okay, but could you give it a few more days first? Who knows? You might have a breakthrough. You do realise there's only eight days till the finals. I know! I did know it. But there was no sense in panicking at this point. There was still time. How about we leave it until Wednesday? If you and Mr J still haven't managed it by then... We'll call Jim. Danny nodded wearily. He knew it was the best he was going to get from me. Anyway, I said, trying to sound cheerful. You'll have to figure it out. You'll need an entry for the finals. Danny shook the overcooked chip ends into one corner of his takeaway carton. He offered them up. I waved them away. Actually, 
I still have my other project. I've been working on it during the days I've been at home, he said. I gave a short, stunned laugh. Oh, you have, have you? Danny popped a chip end in his mouth and munched it with such careful concentration you'd think it held the answer to solving your machine. Eventually, he swallowed and said, Mama would have got suspicious if I wasn't working on something. I smiled and shook my head and sighed. He was right, of course. When it came to Danny's education, his mama was all eyes and ears. I gave my knees a frustrated pat and stood up. I surveyed the playground. Those twins have been ages. How long does it take to get a couple of paddle pops? I squinted into the distance and spotted a pair of flaxen heads at the far end of the quadrangle, not far from where I'd seen Sean earlier. They were standing together, talking to someone, but I couldn't see for sure whether it was him. That was odd. Other than the time in the girls' toilets, or when he'd come under fire from Brian, the twins had never given Sean a moment's attention. But I didn't have time to dwell on that now. I had bigger problems to deal with. Danny and I needed to find a way to make things work, and quickly. We had a machine in need of something magnificent. <laughs>